Chapters 10 and 11 of A House of Gentlefolk by Ivan Turgenev, translated by Constance Garnett. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 10 Ivan Petrovitch returned to Russia an Anglo-maniac. His short-cropped hair, his starched shirt-front, his long-skirted pea-green overcoat, with its multitude of capes, the sour expression of his face, something abrupt and at the same time indifferent in his behavior, his way of speaking through his teeth, his sudden wooden laugh, the absence of smiles, his exclusively political or politic-economical conversation, his passion for roast beef and port wine, everything about him breathed, so to speak, of Great Britain. But, marvelous to relate, while he had been transformed into an Anglomaniac, Ivan Petrovitch had at the same time become a patriot, at least he called himself a patriot, though he knew Russia little, had not retained a single Russian habit, and expressed himself in Russian rather queerly. In ordinary conversation his language was spiritless and inanimate, and constantly interspersed with Gallicisms. Ivan Petrovitch brought with him a few schemes in manuscript relating to the administration and reform of the government. He was much displeased with everything he saw. The lack of system especially aroused his spleen. On his meeting with his sister at the first word he announced to her that he was determined to introduce radical reforms, that henceforth everything to do with him would be on a different system. Glafira Petrovna made no reply to Ivan Petrovitch. She only ground her teeth and thought, Where am I to take refuge? After she was back in the country, however, with her brother and nephew, her fears were soon set at rest. In the house certainly some changes were made. Idlers and dependents met with summary dismissal. Among them two old women were made to suffer, one blind, another broken down by paralysis, and also a decrepit major of the days of Catherine, who, on account of his really abnormal appetite, was fed on nothing but black bread and lentils. The order went forth not to admit the guests of former days. They were replaced by a distant neighbor, a certain fair-haired, scrofulous baron, a very well-educated, and very stupid man. New furniture was brought from Moscow, spittoons were introduced, and bells and washing stands, and breakfast began to be served in a different way. Foreign wines replaced vodka and syrups, the servants were put into new livery, a motto was added to the family arms, in recto virtus. In reality, Glafira's power suffered no diminution the giving out and buying of stores still dependent on her. The Alsatian steward, brought from abroad, tried to fight it out with her and lost his place, in spite of the master's protection. As for the management of the house and the administration of the estate, Glafira Petrovna had undertaken these duties also, in spite of Ivan Petrovich's intention, more than once expressed, to breathe new life into this chaos, Everything remained as before. Only the rent was in some places raised, the mistress was more strict, and the peasants were forbidden to apply direct to Ivan Petrovich. The patriot had already a great contempt for his fellow countrymen. 
Ivan Petrovich's system was applied in its full force only to Fedya. His education really underwent a radical reformation. His father devoted himself exclusively to it. Chapter 11 Until Ivan Petrovich's return from abroad, Fedya was, as already related, in the hands of Glafira Petrovna. He was not eight years old when his mother died. He did not see her every day and loved her passionately. The memory of her, of her pale and gentle face, of her dejected looks and the timid caresses, was imprinted on his heart forever. But he vaguely understood her position in the house. He felt that between him and her there existed a barrier which she dared not and could not break down. He was shy of his father, and indeed Ivan Petrovich on his side never caressed him. His grandfather sometimes patted him on the head and gave him his hand to kiss, but he thought him and called him a little fool. After the death of Malanya Sergeyevna, his aunt finally got him under her control. Fedya was afraid of her. He was afraid of her bright, sharp eyes and her harsh voice. He dared not utter a sound in her presence. Often when he only moved a little in his chair, she would hiss out at once, What are you doing? Sit still! On Sundays, after Mass, he was allowed to play, that is to say, he was given a thick book, a mysterious book, the work of certain Maimovich Ambodic, entitled Symbols and Emblems. This book was a medley of about a thousand mostly very enigmatical pictures and as many enigmatical interpretations of them in five languages. Cupid, naked and very puffy in the body, played a leading part in these illustrations. In one of them, under the heading Saffron and the Rainbow, the interpretation appended was, Of this the influence is vast. Opposite another entitled A Heron, flying with a violet in his beak, stood the inscription, To thee they are all known. Cupid and the bear licking his fur was inscribed little by little. Fedya used to ponder over these pictures. He knew them all to the minutest details. Some of them, always the same ones, used to set him dreaming and afforded him food for meditation. He knew no other amusements. When the time came to teach him languages and music, Glafira Petrovna engaged, for next to nothing, an old maid, a Swede, with eyes like a hare's, who spoke French and German with mistakes in every alternate word, played after a fashion on the piano, and, above all, salted cucumbers to a perfection. In the society of this governess, his aunt and the old servant-maid, Vasilyevna, Fedya spent four whole years. Often he would sit in the corner with his emblems. He sat there endlessly. There was a scent of geranium in the low-pitched room. The solitary candle burnt dim. The cricket chirped monotonously, as though it were weary. The little clock ticked away hurriedly on the wall. A mouse scratched stealthily and gnawed at the wallpaper. And the three old women, like the fates, swiftly and silently plied their knitting needles, the shadows raced after their hands and quivered strangely in the half-darkness, 
and strange half-dark ideas swarmed in the child's brain no one would have called fedya an interesting child he was rather pale but stout clumsily built and awkward a thorough peasant as glafira petrovna said the pallor would soon have vanished from his cheeks if he had been allowed oftener to be in the open air he learned fairly quickly though he was often lazy he never cried but at times he was overtaken by a fit of savage obstinacy then no one could soften him fedya loved no one among those around him woe to the heart that has not loved in youth thus ivan petrovitch found him and without loss of time he set to work to apply his system to him i want above all to make a man of him he said to glafira petrovna and not only a man but a spartan ivan petrovitch began carrying out his intentions by putting his son in a scotch kilt the twelve-year-old boy had to go about with bare knees and a plume stuck in his scotch cap the swedish lady was replaced by a young swiss tutor who was versed in gymnastics to perfection music as a pursuit unworthy of a man was discarded the natural sciences international law mathematics carpentry after jean-jacques rousseau's precept and heraldry to encourage chivalrous feelings were what the future man was to be occupied with he was waked at four o'clock in the morning splashed at once with cold water and set to running round a high pole with a cord he had only one meal a day consisting of a single dish rode on horseback shot with a crossbow at every convenient opportunity he was exercised in acquiring after his parents example firmness of will and every evening he inscribed in a special book an account of the day and his impressions and ivan petrovitch on his side wrote him instructions in french in which he called him mon fils and addressed him as vous in russian fedya called his father thou but did not dare to sit down in his presence the system dazed the boy confused and cramped his intellect but his health on the other hand was benefited by the new manner of his life at first he fell into a fever but soon recovered and began to grow stout and strong his father was proud of him and called him in his strange jargon a child of nature my creation when fedya had reached his sixteenth year ivan petrovitch thought it his duty in good time to instill into him a contempt for the female sex and the young spartan with timidity in his heart and the first down on his lip full of sap and strength and young blood already tried to seem indifferent cold and rude meanwhile time was passing ivan petrovitch spent the great part of the year in lavriki that was the name of the principal estate inherited from his ancestors but in the winter he used to go to moscow alone there he stayed at a tavern diligently visited the club made speeches and developed his plans in drawing-rooms and in his behaviour was more than ever anglomaniac grumbling and political but the year eighteen twenty five came and brought much sorrow 
intimate friends and acquaintances of ivan petrovitch underwent painful experiences ivan petrovitch made haste to withdraw into the country and shut himself up in his house another year passed by and suddenly ivan petrovitch grew feeble and ailing his health began to break up he the free thinker began to go to church and have prayers put up for him he the european began to sit in steam baths to dine at two o'clock to go to bed at nine and to doze off to the sound of the chatter of the old steward he the man of political ideas burnt all his schemes all his correspondence trembled before the governor and was uneasy at the sign of the police captain he the man of iron will whimpered and complained when he had a gumboil or when they gave him a plate of cold soup glafira petrovna again took control of everything in the house once more the overseers bailiffs and simple peasants began to come to the back stairs to speak to the old witch as the servants called her the change in ivan petrovitch produced a powerful impression on his son he had now reached his nineteenth year and had begun to reflect and to emancipate himself from the hand that pressed like a weight upon him even before this time he had observed a little discrepancy between his father's words and deeds between his wide liberal theories and his harsh petty despotism but he had not expected such a complete breakdown his confirmed egoism was patent now in everything young lavretsky was getting ready to go to moscow to prepare for the university when a new unexpected calamity overtook ivan petrovitch he became blind and hopelessly blind in one day having no confidence in the skill of russian doctors he began to make efforts to obtain permission to go abroad it was refused then he took his son with him and for three whole years was wandering about russia from one doctor to another incessantly moving from one town to another and driving his physicians his son and his servants to despair by his cowardice and impatience he returned to lavriki a perfect wreck a tearful and capricious child bitter days followed everyone had much to put up with from him ivan petrovitch was only quiet when he was dining he had never been so greedy and eaten so much all the rest of the time he gave himself and others no peace he prayed cursed his fate abused himself abused politics his system abused everything he had boasted of and prided himself upon everything he had held up to his son as a model he declared that he believed in nothing and then began to pray again he could not put up with one instant of solitude and expected his household to sit by his chair continually day and night and entertain him with stories which he constantly interrupted with exclamations you are forever lying a pack of nonsense glafira petrovna was specially necessary to him he absolutely could not get on without her and to the end she always carried out every whim of the sick man though sometimes she could not bring herself to answer at once for fear the sound of her voice should betray her inward anger 
thus he lingered on for two years and died on the first day of may when he had been brought out onto the balcony into the sun glasha glashka soup soup old fool his halting tongue muttered and before he had articulated the last word it was silent forever glafira petrovna who had only just taken the cup of soup from the hands of the steward stopped looked at her brother's face slowly made a large sign of the cross and turned away in silence and his son who happened to be there also said nothing he leaned on the railing of the balcony and gazed a long while into the garden all fragrant and green and shining in the rays of the golden sunshine of spring he was twenty-three years old how terribly how imperceptibly quickly those twenty-three years had passed by life was opening before him end of chapters ten and eleven